0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachainu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity that you have given us as a mishpacha, as a family to gather together, united in you and in your presence. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken, your heart received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Lord, we ask you to have your way in our midst, transform us and make us more in your image and likeness so that when we leave this place today... We're able to impact the world around us with the good of your kingdom and your holy name, Beshem Yeshua in the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, "Amen." So uh, this week we're in Parsha Bechukotai, which is the final Parsha of Vayikra uh, or Leviticus. Um, so I don't know about you guys, every year it just seems like we blow through the Torah cycle. Um, this is rapidly flowing through. We'll be. Uh, In the high holy days, in just a few months, things are rolling quickly uh, as we move through. But it's always exciting as we watch the uh, kind of climactic building of the Parsha and where we're going uh, in this direction towards the entrance or the preparation for entrance ultimately into the promised land as we get toward the end of Deuteronomy. And so it's a really exciting time. And as we look through this Parsha in particular, this is normally a double Parsha, as we mentioned last week. Uh, and uh, this is a leap here on the Hebrew calendar, so they're split, um, and it's a very short part in and of itself, but it's a really interesting part to look at because it's a, for all intents and purposes, a precursor to the blessings and curses that we read about in Deuteronomy thir- uh, 27 through 30, um, which is a really neat section of Scripture. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture to read through. I think it really puts things in perspective in terms of how weird to live out our life and faithfulness and our walk with the Lord. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up Leviticus chapter 26, beginning with verse three, Leviticus 26, beginning with verse three, it says, if you walk in my statutes, keep my mitzvot and carry them out, then I will give you rains in their se- I will give you rain in their seasons. The land will yield its crops and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. And we're skip down to verse six. I will bring shalom or peace in the land. And you will lie down with no one making you afraid. I will remove dangerous beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Verse 9, I will turn toward you, make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. So at the very beginning of this, this Parsha, it says, if you walk in my chukim or chukat, my, uh, my ordinances and my uh, uh, mitzvot, my, uh, my commandments, uh, there's, there's kind of two different types of mitzvot or commandments in the Torah. There are the, the chuk. And the mitzvah, the chok, is a, um, a directive from the Lord that is kind of extra rational. Uh, it's, it's outside of anything we can rationally try to figure out. A uh, prime example is the red heifer. Uh, we look at the, the commandments of the red heifer, and we don't really understand why. I mean, we have all sorts of hypotheses, and there's definitely a foreshadowing, a messianic foreshadowing in there. But the red heifer, the idea that in killing this animal and making this cleansing water so that somebody who came in contact with the dead body could be made clean. It takes a whole series of other people becoming unclean in order to make that one person become clean. Uh, it's a very odd thing to try and wrap our heads around, and it's a chok. It's a, a divine decree. It's something that we don't have to understand why. We just know God says do it, so we faithfully do so. And it's kind of like when... Uh, and I. <laughs> I find myself, I say this, I find myself doing this over and over again more and more often as I uh, uh, grow in this role of parenthood. Um, I find myself quite often, and this week especially, saying, hey, Eliana, hey, Natal, go do X. And their response is always, why? Yeah. Because I said so. Who cares why? Just go do it, right? And so hoax are uh, commandments that we don't really understand, but God says, because I say so. So all you got to really understand. Just know it's for your good, because I say so, do it. And then you have mitzvot, and mitzvot, mitzvot are commandments that we can actually understand, that we can grasp, right? You shall not commit murder. Makes sense. That one I can get behind, I understand. Uh, don't commit adultery, don't commit fornication, et cetera, et cetera. These are commands that we can grasp and we can understand. Uh, to some degree, many would say that the uh, kashrut. Uh, laws are choked are, uh, are, are themselves, that they are extra rational, they're hard to understand. And at one point, maybe they were, but we can look at science today and go, oh no, it makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Everything God says don't eat wants to kill you when you eat it. Uh, kind of like going to Australia. Everything in Australia wants to kill you. But as we read through the Torah, we realize that there are these two different types of commands, and nonetheless, it doesn't matter whether it's just a command that God says do and we don't understand, or it's a command that God says do and we do understand, we are to be faithful in our walk of obedience to live them out. And when we look at this, in particular, that that beginning where it says, if you walk, that word walk in the Hebrew is the same root word that we get, halakha, which is how we walk out our obedience and our observance to the Torah uh, in our lives today. And so as we look at this, it's really interesting, but honing in on verse 11, this is the why, right? So that whole first passage, if you walk in my statutes, keep my mitzvot, carry them out, then I will give you rains in your season, et cetera, et cetera. Continues on, I will bring shalom in the land. and You will lie down uh, with no one making you afraid, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this about you should keep my commandments. And then here's the why, because we always ask why, here's the why. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle, my mishkan among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. That word mishkan, uh, the the Hebrew word for the tabernacle, that word mishkan, the, the base word, the root word literally means a dwelling place or the dwelling of among us. So he says, if you do this, I will place my dwelling, my presence, the dwelling place for my presence in your midst. And then he goes a step further. He doesn't just say, I'm going to put my tabernacle in your midst, but he goes on to say, I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. So the why to why we should be obedient to uh, faithfulness to his word is because he wants to interact with us in an intimate way. He wants to be in our midst. He wants to reside among us. He doesn't just want to be, you know, later on, David says, hey, I've got this really cool palace and here you are living in a tent. Uh, How about I make you a palace even better than mine? And God says, I I didn't want that. I didn't want a palace. I want a temporary dwelling place that I can dwell in your midst and that my presence can move about with you, right? And so it's really important we understand the why to honoring God's word is so that his presence lives among us. And when we read this, the verse 11 and 12, it reminds us of John 1, right? The word became flesh and the word tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us very literally in the person of Yeshua. And what's really interesting is, and, and I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit here. What's really interesting about that is that we weren't worthy, right? Israel, the Jewish people, we were not ready for the Messiah to come. We were not ready for his presence to be in our midst. As a matter of fact, it's only another 50 years or 60 years later that the temple's destroyed because his presence can't be in the midst of sin, and we were a sinful people. And yet he came and dwelt among us anyway. And so when we go into the next passage, verse 14 says, but if you will not listen to me, nor carry out all these uh, mitzvot, and if you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances so that you do not keep all my mitzvot, but instead break my covenant, then I will do the following to you in return and all of this is the opposite of what he says he would do if we follow and walk with him but in particular that that idea says if you break my covenant if you don't keep all my mitzvot and you break instead my covenant we talked about this in q a this question was brought up Uh, the the complete jewish bible says if you void my covenant or or something along those lines Uh, and the reality here is that the, the the word here in the hebrew literally means to to break up or to disrupt right? So we have this covenant relationship with the Lord. Mount Sinai, that was the whole purpose to it was God was bringing us into this covenant relationship with him. And a covenant requires two parties. And those two parties each have obligations within those covenants in order to maintain and uphold that covenant. And so here, it's not that God will break his covenant, but he says, if you do not walk faithfully with me, if you do not honor my word, if you do not live in relationship with me, if you do not provide and prepare a place for my glory, my presence to dwell among you so that I can walk among you, then you are disrupting my covenant. It says you are disrupting what I want to do. So when we go back to this in verse six, he says, I will bring you shalom in the land and you will lie down with no one making you afraid. What we understand is when we break the covenant, when we are disobedient to the Torah, when we are not walking in faithful relationship with the word of God, we are not just breaking his commandments. We're not just breaking the covenant. We're disrupting the covenant and we're disrupting the peace, the shalom that the Lord wants to give us and wants us to live in. Right, and How many of us are living in uh, our families and our jobs and our day-to-day life that there is nothing but everything except shalom, right? Everything's out of whack. Everything's in turmoil. We look around us and, and everything's just a mess, right? But the Lord wants to give us shalom. He wants to give us peace. He wants to give us his presence so that we can relax without worrying about what the enemy and the world around us wants to do to us and against us. Verse 23, now if in spite of these things you will not uh, be chastened to me, but walk contrary to me instead, then I will also walk contrary to you. Then I will strike you, I myself, seven times for your sin. And then we skip forward to verse 40. Uh, And uh, in in that section leading up to verse 40, what's really interesting is much like the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, when we read through this section, he says, all right, so if you walk contrary to me, then these things are going to happen. And if you continue to walk contrary to me, then these things are going to happen. And if you continue to walk contrary, then these things are going to happen. In Deuteronomy, he says it kind of like this. If you walk against my word, if you walk contrary to me, if you walk contrary to my ways, then these bad things are going to occur, which are the opposite of the good things I say is going to happen. And then he goes, and if that doesn't get your attention, if that doesn't cause you to make teshuvah and turn back around to me, then these things are going to happen. And he goes, and if after that, you're still hard headed and it still doesn't grab your attention then these things are going to happen. And he goes through this three or four times. And then finally at the end, he goes, and when the time comes that both the blessings and the curses have fallen upon you, right? Which means that there will be a period of time that we were obedient. And there was a period of time that we were disobedient, right? The blessings and the curses. He says, when the time comes that you've experienced the blessings and the curses, then you will cry out to me and return, right? And so here in verse 40 of chapter 26, Leviticus, he says, but if they confess their iniquity, and that of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and how they walk contrary to me. In return, I will walk contrary. I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And, and if at that time their uncircumcised hearts become humbled so that they accept the punishment for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Verse 44, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I hate them into utter destruction and break my covenant with them. So he says, even though we might disrupt the covenant, we might break the covenant, he'll never break the covenant on his end. He will never disrupt the covenant. He says, for I am Adonai their God, but for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the side of the nations, that I might be their God I am Adonai, and in verse 43, and right in the midst of this, he says, and even when I forgive them, I'm still going to have them stay out of the land so that the land can have its Shabbatot rest, it's uh, uh, Shemitah rest, and when we go forward to Israel being uh, kicked out of the promised land the first time and taken into the Babylonian captivity, that's exactly how long they were in captivity, it was just long enough for the land to have the Sabbath rests that it didn't have the whole time leading up to that every seven years as it was supposed to. And so as we see this, God upholds it, upholds his promises, and even as he takes us into Babylon and as we fall under Roman authority and as we fall in the world that we're in today, we recognize that in spite of what's going on around us, in spite of how we may be unfaithful in our relationship with him, he is ever faithful in his relationship with us, and he is ever ready for our return, and he is ever calling for our teshuvah, for our repentance, for us to come back to him. Verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and that of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and how they walk contrary to me in return, I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And if at that time their uncircumcised hearts become humbled so they accept the punishment of their iniquities, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. says, but if you just come back to me, and as we read Isaiah and Jeremiah and as we read the, the, the prophets throughout the Tanakh and we see these uh, over and over again, these uh, words from the Lord to the nation of Israel, he says, look, you guys are walking away from me. You're serving idols. You're prostituting yourself to the world around you. You're doing everything but what I've asked you to do. So in turn, I'm going to take you out of the promised land. I'm going to rid the land of you. I'm going to take you out of here. Every time he says this, It's immediately followed with the words, but if you just come back to me, if you just stop your stupidity, my paraphrase, if you just stop your stupidity and make teshuvah and return back to me, then I'll stay this order. I will undo what's about to happen. I will not rid you of the land. I will not bring your enemies in. And I will continue to give you shalom among your enemies. And the idea here is over and over and over again throughout the word of God, that God just simply wants us to return. God knew when he gave Israel the covenant at Mount Sinai that Israel was going to mess it all up. Just like when he created Adam and Eve, he knew that they were going to mess it all up. Hence the reason why, as we said during Q&A this morning, hence the reason why from the very beginning of all that ever existed, long before God ever spoke creation into existence itself, his plan has always been Yeshua. We can't surprise him. It's not like all of a sudden we threw a wrench in his plan and he went, shoot, I did not see that coming. Let me throw a plan B together real quick. Oh, here we go. I'll come down and I'll offer my life for them. There wasn't a plan B. There was only plan A. This God's perfect will and permissive will stuff that eventually will come back around to his perfect that doesn't exist. There is God's will and there's outside of God's will. That's all there is to it. I don't care how we try to flower it up and color it and make it seem better. There's in God's will and out of God's will. And that's all there is to it. And so God knew right out the gate before he ever spoke the first word of creation into existence that we were going to mess it all up. And he created us anyways. And his entire plan from before the foundations of creation were ever laid was to bring us to Yeshua. And everything that we see throughout the word of God from Genesis all the way through Chronicles or Genesis through Malachi, if you've got one of those weird English translations that mess it all up. Uh, As we look through it, everything in there was to bring us to Yeshua. Everything was to bring us to Messiah so that we could be redeemed and restored. Not so that we could be freed from all of that Old Testament stuff. Not so that we could be freed from having to celebrate all those feasts and festivals. Not so that we could be freed from Shabbat and not eating unkosher animals. Not so we could be freed from anything like that. But so we could be restored in faithfulness and obedience to an upright walk with Him. Something that we couldn't do on our own. No matter how hard we tried, we could not do it on our own. As a matter of fact, that's the whole uh, discussion in Matthew 5. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about it before. And that's the anti Judaism. We love to hone in on Matthew 5:17, right? I've not come to do away with, uh, but to, right? We love to hone in on that. But the reality is, is that leads us to the later part of that chapter, which then goes into this idea of Yeshua teaching that there's internal commandments and external commandments. And that internal temptation leads to external sin. And that if we allow him to dwell on the inside, if we allow him to make within us, as he says in this Parsha, make within us a dwelling place, his Mishkan, and that he's able to walk among us, he will handle the internal so that we don't lust and we don't hate, so that we can't then in turn commit murder and fornication or adultery. Says for every external sin, there's an internal sin. If you let me handle the inside, the outside will be all right. But if I'm not handling the inside, the outside's going to be a complete and total train wreck. And there are a lot of believers running around right now in the world that we live in who think that their lives are all in order because on the outside it looks great. But we serve a God who knows the inside. And on the inside, they're train wrecks. And every single one of us in this room, every single one of us hearing these words right now have been in that place. Some of us may be there right now where it looks like everything's in order on the outside. We do all the right stuff at the right time in the right way, but on the inside, man, it's just a loss. It's a wreck and we don't know what to do. Things are falling apart around us. Our families are in turmoil. People that we've held dear and loved and cared for are now gone unexpectedly and, uh, and, and at a timing that we would have never thought of. Friends, family, loved ones that have that, that just died in un, unfathomable ways that we could have never thought of. Pain that we could have never imagined. And we try to put on this show, we try to make everything look right, and then all of a sudden one of these big hits to the gut occurs. And we just go spiraling. And the Lord says no matter what happens, He's there waiting. No matter how far we spiral, no, how, how, no matter how far we go out of the way, He's there waiting. And he loves us and he cherishes us and he still wants nothing more than to make his dwelling place in our midst. He wants nothing more than to walk among us. I picture Adam and Eve in my own head in in the garden. I picture that they were walking uh, you know, they, I don't think it was any surprise to them at all when God showed up in the middle of the day. I think that's why they ran out to go you know, make some quick clothing because they were afraid, oh, God, we're, know we're naked, we gotta go out. I think that wasn't a surprise to them because it was something that happened every day since they first breathed the breath of life into their lungs was that God came down in the middle of the day and walked with them. I picture that Adam and Eve are the, the children. He says that we're, he's our heavenly father. We're his children. I picture that they're like his children and as they walk through the garden in the middle of the day that they're holding their daddy's hand as they're walking through the garden. And our choice to sin, our choice to step away from the covenant, our choice to walk away from an upright life cause a disruption in that relationship and we can't reach his hand. And we want nothing more than to hold our Abba's hand again as we walk through the garden, but we just can't quite reach it. And so Messiah comes and he offers his life that we could be restored to that place that God intended for us in the first place so that yet again we can hold our Ava's hand and walk in this world with him again and ultimately walk in eternity with him hand in hand as he says he wants to walk among us. And this week's Haftarah Parsha in Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says, Thus says Adonai, Cursed is the one who trusts in man and depends on flesh as his arm. And whose heart turns from Adonai, for he will be like a bush in the desert. He cannot see goodness when it comes, but will dwell in parched places in the wilderness as salt land where no one lives. Verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in Adonai, whose confidence is in Adonai. For he will be like a tree planted by the waters, spreading out its roots by a stream, it has no fear when he comes, but it leaves, uh, its leaves will be green. It does not worry in a year of drought, nor depart from yielding fruit. He says very clearly and very uh, obvious that if we walk in relationship with him, if we trust our heavenly father, if we simply are obedient, we will be like a tree planted by still water who's constantly provided, who doesn't have to worry about the, who doesn't have to worry about not uh, uh, producing fruit, who doesn't have to worry about droughts because his provision is ever faithful. His provision is ever real. His provision is there. We go to John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father And he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. The world will no longer behold me, but you will behold me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the, my Father. You are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and will love him. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. When Yeshua says this, guess what didn't exist? The Berich adasha, the Gospels, the New Covenant writings. They didn't exist yet. Why? Because they hadn't been written He's speaking this to his audience, and he's saying, if you obey my commands. Well, what commands is he talking about? He's talking about what was already said. Why? Because he's the word, the word made flesh, dwelling among them. He says, if you're obedient to my word, if you are obedient to my commands, it's important that we understand that this isn't something new, and it's not something that was done away with. But God's purpose for Messiah, his plan in Messiah was always to bring us back into faithful relationship with him. Because he knew that as long as we were trying in our own right, as long as we were trying on our own to simply uphold externally the commandments of his Torah, we were going to fail and we were still going to be sinful. As a matter of fact, our forefathers in the nation of Israel were really good about doing all the external stuff While all the internal stuff was out of whack. You and I are the same way. We're really good about raising our hands in worship, but not truly giving God everything that we have. We're really good about giving other people advice while not living it out in our own lives. We're really good about telling other people, if you simply trust in the Lord while we're over at our house going, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to make it through this week without it? How am I going to get through there? How's my car going to make it? How's this going to happen? How's that going to happen? But listen, man, if you just simply trust the Lord, he's got you. I don't know what he's doing in my life, but he's got you over there. He has called us just as he called Israel. We are both Jew and Gentile by the blood of the Lamb, bought to be part of the commonwealth of the nation of Israel. And he's called you and I just as he called our forefathers, the nation of Israel, to be an example to the nations. He created Adam and Eve. He didn't create Jacob and Esau. He created humanity. He didn't create Jew and Gentile. Out of Adam and Eve came forth the 70 nations. And out of the 70 wicked nations, he drew forth what would ultimately become the nation of Israel to be an example and a light to the rest of the world. And not just to live out his Torah so that the rest of the world would go, well, they look different. But he called us out to be who he would carry the seed of his light, Messiah Yeshua, through so that through Yeshua we could truly become the blessing to the rest of the world that he promised through Abraham, our forefather. 1 John 2, verse 3. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, Now we know that we have come to know him by this if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is true. Uh, is truly made perfect. We know that we are in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk just as he walked. And in 1 John 3, he says that, transgression, uh, that sin is the transgression of the law or the Torah. The only way we can define sin is by the Torah. As a matter of fact, you ask most believers today, how do we live a life of a believer? And generally speaking, we don't really have an answer because we don't know, right? Most believers think, well, all of that Old Testament stuff's done away with it. in the New Testament. We just have grace and freedom to do whatever. But that's not what the word of God says. He says we have been bought by a price to be redeemed and restored in covenant relationship with him. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, Verse 37, this is after Peter, after the Ruach HaKodesh has fallen on Shavuot, and Peter has preached to the crowd who asked, well, are these dudes drunk? What's going on? And Peter preaches this powerful message from the very beginning of, uh, of Israel's history. And in verse 37, it says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, fellow brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said then uh, to them, repent and let each of you be immersed in the name Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins not so that you can continue to sin, but that sin is removed from your life and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away. As many as Adonai, our God calls to himself, which is reminiscent of the words of the Torah that says these words are not distant from you. These words are for you and for those that come after you. It says in verse 31, so those who received his message were immersed and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And it was simply a message of repentance and restoration to covenant relationship with the Lord through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. Solely because what the Lord wants to do is to make his presence dwell among us in a very literal sense. As believers in Messiah Yeshua filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the very Ruach, the breath that breathed and inspired the words of the entirety of the Bible from Genesis Revelation into existence now resides within us. And Messiah Yeshua, that word itself, now resides within us. And the only way that we can live an upright life, righteous and holy before the Lord, is through the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh and by the blood of the Lamb. We tried for millennia to do it on our own and it got us nowhere. But Messiah came to restore us and redeem us and make us new so that his presence can in fact dwell among us and be a Mishkan, a temporary dwelling place within us for his divine purpose. And then he calls us to be together in unity so that as we come together in unity, his presence is amplified in our midst so that the world around us will see him in us and want the lives that we live in him, in them. Far too often we get selfish in our faith. And we think it's all about us. And what the Lord can do or wants to do for us. And we think it's all about what God expects of us. Or, or what he desires for us to do. But the reality is all he wants us to do is humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. So that he can make us his dwelling. His dwelling. And it simply takes a faith and trust in the work of Messiah and the blood of the lamb, so that we can live in faithful trust in His word all the days of our life. abrahamim Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you that your word is true, that is living, that is breathing, that it is ever faithful and never returns void. Father, we thank you that in spite of the fact that we so readily and easily disrupt, our side of the covenant with you, that you refuse to disrupt your covenant with us. Father, we thank you that no matter how far we have walked away, that you are right there beside us calling us back, ever faithful and receiving us in return. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. We ask you, God, to reveal yourself more and more to us each and every day, make your presence, your dwelling, your mishkan, more and more real in our lives. And Lord, make your light, the light of Messiah, shine so boldly, so powerfully, so radiantly that the world around us will experience your tangible presence in their midst as we walk in this world around us. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.